I'm honored to have Dr. Dwight Perry, uh, my pastor and former executive minister for the Great Lakes region for Converge Worldwide. Uh, Dr. Perry, it's so glad, it's so good to have you on. Uh, let's talk about it today. I'm honored. How are you, sir? Uh, I'm doing well, Pastor Sammy. It's so good to hear your voice. Likewise, likewise. Dr. Perry, tell us what you've been doing ever since uh, you had that full retirement uh, from, uh, from, from being executive minister. Well, I appreciate the way you say that. I, I'm not <laughs> real good at, at retirement, my friend. I was, <laughs> I was retired, well, officially for about, I don't know, about eight months total, but really about five months. Um, the Lord, the Lord seemed to have at least one more major assignment for me. And, and so I, I accepted a call and began July 1st as the new dean of faculty, professor of homiletics and leadership at North Park Theological Seminary in Chicago, Illinois. So I'm, I'm honored to um, be back in the academy, but not just from an academic point of view. Our mission and focus is to serve the church and to really train uh, pastoral leaders for the gospel and and God and his and his grace and his wisdom and some people would probably say in his humor decided to uh use an old guy like me to continue that work so so that that's what I've been doing that's now it's amazing you say old guy, but if anybody could see you, you don't look a, a day older than uh, forty five but, uh, you're very, you're very kind. <laughs> <laughs> but this is this is not your first seminary that you work at, is that correct, Doctor P? Well, I was a full time professor for many years, about ten years at Moody Bible Institute in Chicago, mm-hmm. and then I was an adjunct professor, when still am really for Trinity Divinity Evangelical Divinity School in Deerfield. Uh, on and off, I was an adjunct professor there for over, I don't know, over twenty years, maybe one. Wow, I've had a I've had a good career, and but I, I I'm a pastor. I was a pastor and a church planter, and, and uh, yes, I I have been um, uh, in the academy for a while. I, for, for several years, about ten full time, I was a full time professor at Moody Bible Institute here in Chicago, and uh, prior to that, and then even after that, I served as an adjunct faculty person for Trinity Evangelical Divinity School, where uh, I probably all total 15, 20 years in terms of that um, ministry, uh, where I was the, had the privilege of being the first African-American to get an earned Ph.D. Wow. So. Wow. Now, you also have... Uh, a, a, the, the the history of being the only African American executive minister uh, to serve uh, uh, as an executive minister for Converge is that correct? Yeah, yeah. Not only am I the only one, I was the first person of color, African American or otherwise, to also serve on the national staff of Converge, which some people know as Baptist General Conference. Mm. And so I was the first person of national. On a national level, and also the first regional president as well. Yes, that's correct. Wow, wow. 
So, Dr. P, you, you have been in circles that uh, others may not have had the opportunity to be in. And so we're gonna, we're gonna, I'm going to go ahead and start by asking the first question uh, that uh, concerns this podcast. Uh, have you ever seen or experienced implicit racial bias? Well, certainly. Uh, I grew up in, in the 1950s and 60s and, and was a, you know, a, young, a teenager in the late 60s and, and um, in the midst of the civil rights movement where uh, racial bias was significant and very evident. Uh, There were parts of Chicago, for example, where I grew up at, that if you went into a certain neighborhood, you might not come back. Hmm. Even in the neighborhood I lived in, I only saw one Caucasian person to my knowledge before seventh grade, and I lived in a major metropolitan city. So segregated housing, um, segregated educational systems that were inferior to maybe other majority community systems, incarceration, uh, just a number of things I've unfortunately seen kind of firsthand. And um, uh, what probably is more discouraging, however, is I, I have experienced and seen it among evangelical Christians just as significant as I did when I was an unbeliever in the world. In what, in what ways have you seen it amongst evangelical Christians, Dr. Perry? Well, being um, one of the few African-Americans who have stayed over a long period of time within conservative evangelicalism, there are people who come in and out, but I've, I've been involved at some level for 40-something years with what American Christians call the conservative evangelical movement. Oh my God! Suspension and hiring practices. I've seen, but just racially intolerable. Uh, I have seen gross misrepresentation of what a per, what a person the African American is. I've had people tell me. Well, to my face, you seem angry all the time, and I didn't know what they were even talking about. Hmm. And so, um, yeah, I, I have uh, unfortunately seen quite a bit. I remember one time many years ago when I was helping a church in my former denomination to find a pastor, I wanted to recommend someone from Dallas Seminary, which is a fine school. In fact, this gentleman had his doctor of ministry at that time and had was pastoring. And then when I mentioned that he was black, the conversation just kind of shifted. Hmm. And so even though he had been to, quote, unquote, the kind of schools that evangelicals look to, when you talk about race, it supersedes all of that in, in many quarters. And not just not just 30 years ago, even today. Wow. 
Now, I know that you mentioned that you, you know, having grown up during the civil rights uh, movement, uh, how have you been affected by uh, racial bias personally? Well, I've been excluded from certain positions because of um, because of my race, or at least the characterization how I've been characterized as an African American man who is forthcoming. I have um, personally experienced uh, racism even as recently as the last couple of years when I was a part of Converge. My region is one of the largest in Converge. And I believe on two separate occasions I was driving in a particular rural area and got pulled over by the policeman who uh, allegedly said, at least in one of those cases I can remember, that a neighbor in a rural house maybe a mile away saw me speeding and all of a sudden and called the police or something, which is ridiculous. And the gentleman knew it was ridiculous because he didn't, he didn't even give me a ticket or anything. So whether it be in the church or outside the church, unfortunately, um, racism exists in both covert and <clears throat> overt forms. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Now, I'm, I'm going to ask this question. It's not even part of the questions that I normally ask, but what is it like to be a person of color in America, both in times past, because you got to live through the civil rights movement, but even now, what's it like to be a person of color, especially an African-American male? Well, it's very difficult. Um I, I saw my father beat up my mother at age six. And then I saw him in the arms of another woman at age seven. And my mother had the courage to leave that very, very abusive relationship. And that's when we moved into the inner city of Chicago in the home of my grandparents, though. So I grew up in a, in a loving home after that, even though outside was chaotic in terms of the inner city. And so um, I I thought that the racial bias, and not just bias, but racial actions that I experienced as part of the civil rights movement was something that hopefully was for history books. But the last couple of years especially have been extremely difficult. Um, and uh, it's been almost like at least for, for me I can't speak for African Americans in general but at least for me it almost feels like someone's trying to take us back in a time warp mm -hmm. to the 1950s and 60s and they're doing everything they can to somehow reclaim whatever that was which for black people was a not a good time. <laughs> right, know? right. Right. Well, it, it, in light of what we just saw this past weekend in Charleston or yeah, in uh, Charlottesville, Virginia, what did that evoke? Uh, any kind of any kind of uh, memories of what you saw 
uh, during the civil rights movement? Of course, of course it did. Uh, of course it did. <clears throat> um, you know, not only did it evoke memories, it it evoked a uh, sense of pain. Mm-hmm. To be honest, and 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 the, not so much, even though that was painful, the actions of of people that are that are ignorant and that are who have a warped sense of self. But the pain for me is when I see the failure of white evangelical leaders, not only not speaking against that type of nonsense, but some of them defending statements that even our current president made, which tried to equivocate on an equal level, neo-Nazis, white supremacists, with the counter-protesters who were standing up for what's right. So Mm -hmm. I I don't condemn people who are outside of the church for being outside of the church, but I do condemn the church for not being the church. Mm. You know, the Apostle Paul would say it like this, that judgment begins at the household of God. And I think we're getting pretty close to seeing some significant things happen because we've kind of bought into trying to be more like the world than be more than being more like what it means to be Christ-like. Mm, very true. Very true. Now, I, I I spoke about this on one of my other shows, Dr. Perry, but I, as a, as a Latino, experienced racism at the age of five. Uh, I, I, when I went to kindergarten, I didn't speak any English whatsoever. Uh, I had just gotten to Louisiana from Puerto Rico, so Spanish was my only language. And my teacher, uh, when she was giving instruction, I didn't understand it. And so because I didn't understand it and, I, you know, I can't even remember what it was that I was supposed to be doing, but she struck me on my back. And uh, immediately I, uh, I learned that if I don't learn this language, uh, I'm going to get struck every time I don't understand or any time I do not perform the way that I'm being asked to. And it caused me to have, uh, you know, if anything, apprehensions towards education and apprehensions towards white people, especially uh, you know, white female teachers. And the irony is that now I am married to a white kindergarten teacher. And so the Lord has redeemed that within my own, within my own marriage. But uh, I, I remember vividly uh, thinking, you know, I need to, uh, I, I need to uh, really master this English language, uh, not from a sense of for myself, but because of the fear that was, uh, you know, that struck me at five years of age uh, because I was different, because I didn't speak language. And so the ill treatment that I saw at that young age really, really impacted me. And in in some regards still does. Uh, So when you've mentioned about the pain that you felt when you saw what was going on uh, uh, throughout this weekend in Charlottesville, 
I, I think that a lot of people have felt. Can, can you speak about that pain just a little bit more uh, sure. explicitly? Well, it was just more, at least for me, uh, disbelief that this stuff is still going on. But the, the pain aspect, to be very honest and frank with you, was more in relationship to how the uh, the leader of the free world responded to that. Mm. And I, I don't want to go too much into that because people react without really hearing on that, but I, I was extremely disappointed, okay? And... As a matter of fact, over the weekend, one of my faculty persons, as dean of the faculty, I, I'm responsible to serve our faculty, and I'm the person who is their leader. Uh, a young Caucasian woman initiated a conversation with myself with the dean of the seminary, who's the vice president of church relations, another faculty person, and said, we need to make a statement. We need to put out a statement about this. It wasn't me that even initiated that, but it was this young, uh, tenure-track uh, faculty person of Caucasian descent who um, counter, wanted to counteract the narrative that was being portrayed. And wanted to make sure that people knew that North Park was not going to be just lumped into the group of evangelical Christians that talk theology but don't really do theology. So mm-hmm. and that that really brought some healing for me just to see her do that uninitiated. I, I had, she wasn't trying to impress me or anything. She just felt passion and a conviction to do that. So. That was that's so good. So, Dr. Perry, that will segue us to the next question. Uh, what what does justice look like for people who have experienced that racial bias? Well, maybe I can answer your question by telling you what it doesn't look like, and then I'll answer it directly. Sure, Just, sure. Justice is not paternalism. Justice is not pity. Uh, justice is not... Um, feeling sorry justice from my point of view is I'm willing to take action because what's being done is not right and I'm willing to take that action irregardless of the consequences to myself Hmm. that to me is justice Uh, it's not trying to please it's not trying to prove something but it's trying to be an obedient, and in my context, obedient servant of Christ who is willing to take a stand because it's simply right. Right. And, and <clears throat> irregardless of the consequences. Unfortunately, I have not found a lot of Caucasian Christians, at least, who are willing to do that. I've, I've, I've experienced some who have emotional reactions during times of crisis, 
but then they just go back into the, their own world. But I have not experienced too many. There, there are some who live a life, uh, like Micah 6, 8 says, who, who walk humbly with their God and they do justice. You know, they. I, I have not seen a whole lot of that, at least among the conservative evangelical branch of the church. So that's to me justice is doing what's right, irregardless of the consequences. Mm. Uh, now, I know that this is a question you may not be able to answer, but why do you think it is that most uh, conservative Caucasian Christians don't raise their voices against the injustice that is happening towards uh, people of color? Why do you think that is? Well, almost 20 years ago, uh, I wrote my first book called Breaking Down Barriers, a black evangelical explains the black church. And in that book, I talk about having the right theology, but the wrong sociology. What, am I, what do I mean when I say that? I'm proud of my evangelical heritage. I'm proud that I believe the Bible is the word of God, that Jesus is the divine savior of the world, that, that I can put my trust in a God who took uh, my sin on himself so that I might have his righteousness before God. And I'm proud that God in his grace saved me all those many years ago and put me in a community that really believed the Bible. So from a theological point of view, I, I'm proud of the foundation that was laid in my life 40-something years ago. However, I'm not, I'm not as proud of the cultural context out of which that theological understanding was built and continues to be built. For example, for many uh, Caucasian evangelical believers, it's hard for them to understand how in the black church, for example, we tend to be theologically conservative, much more than even many uh, of our counterparts in the Anglo church, but we tend to not, but we also tend to be, I don't, I don't want to use the word liberal because that isn't accurate. We tend to be more socially progressive and, and it, it confuses my brothers and sisters, how we can think in both worlds like that, but it doesn't confuse us because uh, we were brought over here against our will. We were slaves six days a week, but we became reverend on Sunday and deacon on Sunday. And because we couldn't have access to the broader realms of society, politically, economically, educationally, the black church became in our theology the center of our existence. And all the things that came out of that, whether it be black colleges, whether it be businesses, all of those things that came out of that were really linked to our theology of justice, our theology of, of serving others, our theology that Christ came to redeem those who were poor, oppressed, and downtrodden. And so we've never 
we did not develop a dichotomized theology that believed something on Sunday but acted differently on Monday because we had the privilege of doing that. And I, and, and I really believe to answer your question that for white evangelicals who haven't thought through their theology and, and haven't thought through those issues critically, they have not really analyzed how their their theology is dichotomized. Wow. And haven't, and haven't grappled with that and what that means. Mm. Wow. That's a that's a Selah moment there, Doctor Perry. We we will we will come to the to the last question, uh, and uh, this is the one that for me is probably the most important because this 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 show is not about uh, causing more tension. Uh, it's not about uh, uh, us versus them. Uh, it is not about uh, causing people to get angry or feel shame or guilt. Cause a lot of times, the uh, response that uh, I get from uh, from uh, Caucasian people is like, you know, that's not my problem. That was those are my ancestors. You can't blame me. I didn't do that. Uh, but uh, at the end of the day, uh, reconciliation is the pursuit, and um, and we know that justice. The only one that can really hand out justice ultimately is God. And, uh, but, uh, you know, for the pursuit of reconciliation, because we especially as Christians have been given this ministry of reconciliation, where we beseech people to get right with God, we also have to see the beseeching coming about where we have to get right with each other, especially when it comes to these racial issues. So how do we pursue reconciliation, Dr. Perry? How does that come about? Well, from my point of view as a, as a believer, and not just as a pastor or a seminary dean or any of that, but just as a believer, the first thing that we have to do in our own heart and mind is, is to understand that the greatest commandment is not aligning with a particular political party. The greatest commandment is to love the Lord our God with all our heart in our soul and strength, but to love, and this is the part that some of my white counterparts uh, struggle with, we need to love our neighbor as ourselves. I, I really don't think dominant culture can reconcile with those who are, who are underrepresented unless they see them as neighbors. If they see them as people who are victims, if they see them as people who are not as good as them for whatever reason, if they see them as people that just need to be rescued, they can never enter into reconciliation. So that's the first mm -hmm. thing. I, I love what Jesus says to his disciples in those last ways. You are, you are my friends now. <laughs> I love that imagery. You know, as he's about to go to the cross, you know, I, I'm, I'm, I'm going to be revealing some things to you now because you are my friends. <laughs> and, you know, I, I love the, the imagery of, of the beloved and how Christ came down to reconcile God to man. He was able to do that because he walked in our shoes. 
he could not have done that unless he had walked in our shoes. So the first thing is we've got to, I think, in my opinion, understand that this person is our neighbor, not not our project, not our uh, not our victim, but our neighbor. Secondly, I really do believe we've got to really identify how money and power and prestige has so infiltrated the evangelical church in America. We, we have the most resources out of any church in the world, but yet our influence in terms of the world, in terms of even here in America, is much less than places in Africa and China and other, other places that have not even a, a 10% of the resources we have but I've seen conversions day and night, left and right, because somehow we have fallen into <clears throat> thinking that success for God is the same as success as it is in the world. Do we have the biggest church? Do we have the biggest budget? Are we most well-known? There's all these type of things that Jesus never had any time for. I, I still remember the story in, in Mark chapter 10 where the disciples uh, had asked him on the left and the right. I think Luke's, trans, Luke's version of that talks about how his, their mama had got involved in, in the deal. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the other disciples in verse 41 in Mark 10 heard this. And the text says, and and the and the ten became indignant. Uh, that word in the original language literally can be translated. It conveys the word picture of somebody whose head was about to explode. Hmm. Hmm. <laughs> that's a heavy as a heavy image. Yeah, it is. You know, they were they were so furious, <laughs> their head was about to explode. And the question that comes to my mind is. What were they furious about if it wasn't important who was going to be on the right or left? <laughs> wow. You know, what were they furious about? They could have said, well, maybe that's, their, maybe that's the call for, you know, those sons of 70 guys. You know? But Jesus turned it all around. He said, you know, don't be like the folk out there who don't know me. Think that the greatest is people who are being exalted, but the greatest should be the servant. Mm. And so I, I do think we need to do critical analysis on the impact of how culture has infiltrated the evangelical church. I think more than the evangelical church has influenced culture. Wow. And then lastly, we've got to understand systemic and institutional racism, not just personal and relational racism. Um, we go through these periods where there's reaction. There, there are people that are marching. And I, I, I totally so because we don't understand it's a systematic problem. And I personally believe it's not just an earthly problem. I personally believe there's some demonic forces behind it. 
56 is right. I personally believe that the devil loves to see this kind of confusion, especially among God's people. Was he right and wrong? Hmm. And so we need to understand to have some eyes of discernment. Until we begin to deal with structural poverty, until we begin to deal with educational inequities, until we be able to deal with housing disparities, we, we can't solve a problem that's so systemic through our culture by giving, uh, opening up a food pantry or, and I, and I want people to open food pantries or having a march. We've got to get down to the, the root inequities in our economic and social systems. So those are the three things. Mm. That's so good. I, I know that, uh, you know, Ephesians, uh, it says that Christ came and he broke down that wall of hostility that was between Jews and Gentiles. And uh, out of the two, he, he made one. And so that's the pursuit of this. But you're right. Uh, those those uh, those systems that that are at play, that have been at play from the very beginning, that play right now, they, they do need to be addressed. And so, uh, Dr. Perry, as we're closing out this show today, would you would you pray for for us? Would you pray for the people that are listening? Would you pray for the people that are uh, watching the, the the news and seeing what is transpiring, especially in in Charlottesville and, and more uh, rallies that will be coming up, which will continue to inflict wounds. Uh, would you pray uh, against the wounds that the president is inflicting with the comments that he's making? Uh, would you pray for all of us and uh, pray that, uh, that one, that this, this demonic, that this demonically influenced racial bias that we see happening would stop that the injustice would stop and that the pursuit of reconciliation would become a reality, not just the pursuit of it, but actually the reconciliation that would become a reality in a nation that is still very divided. Would you, would you do that, sir? Oh, I certainly would. Father, we come before you knowing that none of us, apart from your grace, can even cry out to you. So I certainly do not speak from a spirit of judgment or condemnation. I speak from a spirit of poverty in my own life, and my own weaknesses, and my own failures. But I do pray, Lord, for our country. I do pray for the evangelical church, the heritage that I am so proud to be a part of and still a part of, that we would be the kind of church that is not lukewarm, that we would not be the kind of church that uh, is more interested in being seen with certain people instead of being seen as righteous and godly saints who love you and who love others. I do pray for our country right now. I I, I feel I'm so fearful, um, not for myself, an older person, but yeah, but, and not even for my children who are all grown, even though I fear for them. I, 
I pray for my grandchildren who now who are coming into this world. It would have been my hope that they'd be in a world a lot better than than the one I came in. But I know that you are a sovereign God, that you are in control, and that you will take care of them as you've taken care of me and my wife. Thank you for Pastor Sammy for the wonderful ministry that he and First Lady Loretta have. And bless them and their family. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. Dr. Perry, thank you so much for taking of your time to being on our show. Uh, I uh, look forward to hearing what uh, comes about as you are there uh, in Chicago again at that, at that great university. And, uh, sir, God bless you. Well, thank you so much. We love you now, and, and, and thank you for the opportunity just to have a conversation with you on this very important issue. Thank you, sir. Okay, you take care now. You too. Take care.